Amen. Thank you, music team, again for doing such a marvelous job of bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. I'm grateful for a great group of people that gather to worship the Lord. I'm not making a knock against anything, but we're not here to perform. We're here to praise. Amen. And I thank God for that. I do appreciate, again, all of the kindness that you as a church have shown to my wife and my family over the last week. Great anniversary weekend. Thankful for all of that. Glad it's behind us. Looking forward to the next 25. Amen. I told our leadership team last night that would make me 87. I don't think you'll want me pastoring you at 87, but we'll have, I'll still be here on the front row, hopefully, cheering on uh, everybody. Amen. If you have your Bibles for a few moments this morning, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. I'm just going to read very quickly a verse of Scripture in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Then we're going to go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, and then finish up in the book of Romans, chapter 4. In the book of Judges, the sixth chapter, you pick up at verse number 11, and it's the story of a man by the name of Gideon. Verse number 12 is the one that I want to draw out to your attention. For the sake of time, I won't read the whole passage, but verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. Matthew chapter 16, again a very familiar text and passage about the revelation of who Jesus Christ was. Simon Peter stepped forth and boldly declared that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse number 18, Jesus speaks addressing this man, and he says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, underscore Two words, thou art, Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Romans chapter 4, Romans the fourth chapter. I'm going to begin reading verse number 13. I'm going to read very quickly, so uh, please try to stay up. It said, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of non effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for there, where there is no law, where no law is, there is no transgression, therefore is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
As it is written, I have made thee a father. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, he, so shall thy seed be. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you'll permit me, I want to read that same portion of Scripture from Romans from the message translation. It is uh, to give you a little broader scope of, of what I feel the Holy Ghost I would like to say to us. But this is how the message reads. Beginning in verse number 12, I'm going to go up one verse from where we started. And this is how it reads. And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as God's in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called, set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision, not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them. The way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. That famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and His way then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promises arrive as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious tradition and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is the father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. We call, we call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, 
but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Amen. God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father. Amen. Some of you are going to pick up on it after a while. The rest of you can go ahead and sleep on Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, to raise the dead to life and with a word make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live. Not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. He lived not on the basis of what he could do, but he lived on the basis of what God said he could do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples, God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family. Amen. When I read this, something leaped out at me and just got a hold of something in my spirit that I have not been able to get away from. I want to go back. To verse number 17 in the King James Version, the last portion of that scripture says, And and he called, everybody say he called. He called those things which be not as though they were. Amen. I don't have a sermon to deliver this morning. I have a message. Amen. You know, it would seem sometimes that God has a great sense of humor. When you look at the things that he uses to accomplish his purpose. When you look further than the things, but you look at the people that he chooses. You have to sit back and scratch your head and wonder if God was not smiling when he set all of that in motion. When you look at the way God moves, his mystery way, his marvelous way of doing things, it seems that God has such a deep sense of humor, but it is not a sense of humor. It is a sense of knowing, a great difference, a sense of knowing, seeing things that no one else can see, knowing things that can be. Many times in life we devalue ourselves or we discount our lives because 
of the adversity that we face because of the weaknesses of our own flesh, our own shortcomings, our faults, our failings. How could I be anything but a failure with all of these troubles in my life? Many times we succumb to the thinking that we are precluded from usefulness because we're just marred by one misstep after another. Our personality, our temperament gets us in trouble. Our temper seems to flare at the wrong times and our tongue sometimes gets loose and we say things that we wish we hadn't said or our flesh gets out of control and we do things that we wish we hadn't done. How often in life do we rate our success or our failure by our present circumstances, by just looking around at where we are and looking at where we have been and and deducting from what we see that God couldn't be a thousand miles from me. And then we're confronted by a world that is constantly appealing to the lowest part of us at all times. It is a world that appeals to that darker side of humanity, the worst in us. And we are tempted to think that we can never break that cycle or we can never break out of that that handicap or limitation and God will not ever be able to use me or work in my life because of what I am and who I am. Our lives are limited more often than not by self-imposed limitations because who better knows me than me? I know me. I look at myself often in the mirror. I I know all of the shortcomings. I know all of the failures. I know all of the weaknesses. Oh, you you may not ever see them. And I'm like you. I, I have a way of putting on the right look and putting on the right act at times to cover my shame or my embarrassment. But the fact is, many times in my own spiritual life, I am limited, not because God wanted to limit me, but because of my own limitation that I put upon myself because I am defining myself by what I am at this particular moment. People habitually wish for themselves to be different. How many people with a bad temper this morning just wish that they had a little more even-tempered life. How many people this morning that are timid wish they had greater courage or a, a greater boldness? How many people today that are harassed by their carnality just wish that that spiritual man could rise up in them every once in a while and show itself instead of them continually stumbling on in their carnality? We long for change. All of us long for it. But where does that change come from? 
We are looking for something from without and we are looking for something perhaps too far away when the reality is it's a lot closer than most of us even think. Our text this morning may seem to you a wide array and a potpourri of of scriptures that really have no connection, but there is a line that connects them all. And they are a reminder of God's grace, and they are a reminder of God's goodness. And more than anything, they to me are a reminder of God's faithfulness and His Faith in humanity and he, it is a constant reminder to me of the way in which God works with humanity. It was in the midst of an atmosphere of fear and poverty and hunger and repeated attacks and oppression of their enemy that we meet a man by the name of Gideon. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord accosted him. And he called him a mighty man of valor. And I am certain by the response that I read that when that angel spoke those words to Gideon, it was a shock to his system because if there was anything Gideon thought he was, it was not a mighty man of valor. I mean, just look at myself. Look at where, look at my situation. Look at my predicament. Look at what I'm doing. I'm hiding at a threshing floor. I'm trying to keep something aside to keep my enemy from stealing more from me. And you're calling me a mighty man of valor. No doubt he may have chuckled to himself when he looked around and he looked at his situation. How could anyone say such a thing about me? How could anyone say such a thing Considering this surrounding, in that moment of time, to any outside observer, Gideon's attitude of mind was anything but strength. It was anything but courage. God saw him, though, in a different light. And God spoke to him. I love the Word of God. I love to read the Word because every time I read it, I find something I didn't see before. And as many times as I have read this story about Gideon, and as many times as I've heard it preached about in my lifetime, I never noticed what the Scripture said until yesterday when I read it again. And the Bible said, And the and the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon and said... and. Interesting thing in the Hebrew, the word appeared literally means he looked at. He looked not only at, but he looked to and he looked out this man who was hiding at the threshing floor trying to preserve. And on that day... On that particular occasion, the divine eye penetrated the veneer and the exterior and all of the weaknesses and the problems and the faults that everybody else saw. And God saw something in that man that he could use to bring deliverance to his people. Amen. God's eye penetrated the veneer and saw qualities that Gideon himself did not even see or know were there. He saw in his weakness the very things that were needed to make 
a hero out of him. And God looked him out of his fear. And he looked him out of his depression. And he looked him out of his despondency. What a powerful look today. When I started looking at that, I just prayed, God, I want that eye to be on our service tomorrow. Because I want you to look some folks out of their dilemmas. I want you to look at them in such a penetrating way that somehow they can get the message that you're trying to get through to them. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God literally looked Him out of that dark place. Amen. He looked Him out. He looked Him up to a higher place. God looked Him out of His discouragement. He looked Him out of His despondency and He looked Him into... A holy bravery. Look on us and nerve us today, God, to believe that you have better things for us than what we can see at the present moment. That though our life may look like it's cursed at this particular moment, that if we will simply look to you, there will be a word that will come that will negate what our surroundings are saying about us and what other people may be saying about us. And that word will say, thou shalt be. And when God says you shall be, nobody can stop what God sets in motion. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. In the book of Matthew, Jesus queries his disciples as to whom men say that he is. And there were varying responses of who they thought he might be. But it was Simon Peter who spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, That's a revelation now, you didn't learn that from man, but my Father revealed. No, you, you've got something, an understanding. And then Jesus turns to this same man he had called Simon Peter. And he drops to Simon and just calls him by that one name. And he said, Thou art Peter. Thou art a rock. Now, at that moment, Simon was anything but that. Because in the days that were to come, he was going to be rebuked by the Lord. And the Lord was going to say of him, get thee behind me, Satan. There was coming again in the days ahead a moment when he would deny, he would curse, he would even flee from him. Denying that he knew him. And yet at that moment in his life, before he ever became the man that he could be. God began to speak to him about that man that was in him. Amen. That man that was in him. That name reflected back to his first encounter with him. He was known in the community as a rough, hard-working, foul-mouthed, ill-tempered fisherman. He was a radical part of a group called Zealots. And there was a day that his life intersected one called Jesus. 
And he saw not a rough-hewn, ill-tempered, hot-headed, temperamental, explosive, impulsive, brash, vacillating, short-fused man. And neither did he see an unstable or a bombastic personality. But he saw a man who could be a spokesman. A man who could preach and deliver a word at Pentecost that would usher in a brand new dispensation of God's grace. And God spoke to that man that was yet to be. And he called him now what God was going to make of him in the future. And what I've come to tell somebody this morning is you need to let your personality be transformed by the Word of God and let what God is saying about you be more important than what people or what circumstances are saying about you right now. Amen. Amen. Peter was anything but a rock. He was anything but a stalwart, unmoving man. He had faults and doubts. But what I love about the Lord is that in spite of his shortcomings, in spite of his faults, in spite of his failures, he spoke into his life and he called out of him the man that was hidden beneath all of that rubble, all of that personality, all of that quirkiness. He called out of him a man that was better than his circumstances, a man that was better than his life showed at that moment. He called out of him the man that was in him. And I have come this morning to speak to somebody in this building that God is tired of seeing you wallow in your sinfulness and wallow in your failure and think that you can never be delivered. The Word of the Lord come to tell you today, thou art a rock. You are worthy. You are redeemed. You are loved. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, worship Him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. How could God call him anything but what he was? How can we call ourselves anything but what we are? Because God sees more than what we are. He sees not where you are. He sees not what you are. He sees not what you've done or where you've been. He sees what you can be. Amen. What I love about the Scripture is that He didn't say, Peter, you ought to be this. He said, you are. Vast difference between things that ought to be and things that are. There's no question when God speaks. There's not a question in my mind as to why God sent me this morning. I'm not here to beat the air. I'm not here to sermonize. I'm not even here to impress you with my thought this morning. What I am here to impress you with is that God sees something in you that sin can't cover up and your failures can't cover up and your shortcomings can't cover up. There's a better man and a better woman. There's a better person. There's a better future. 
there's a better hope in you this morning than what you're living. And God wants to call you out of that. He wants to get you out of that. He wants to raise you up to a different level. He wants to put your feet on solid ground and give you a reason to hope. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, come on. Let him look you out of your misery. Let him look you out of your fear. Let him look you out of your depression. Hallelujah. Let him look you out of your doubt. Amen. Let him look you out of it. You can stand. I'm through. You don't believe that, but I'm through. This is evangelistic style this morning. Amen. I believe that God is here right now. And I'm going to tell you what I believe with all of my heart. God is sick and tired of you allowing the devil to beat you down with that old man. All those old failures. All of your mistakes. All of your shortcomings. Dragging it all up. Reminding you. What you're not, what you haven't done, what you haven't been, the things you've said. And while you wallow in that, God is trying to find a way to get through to you. That there's a man in you, there's a woman in you that's better than that. Hallelujah. It's better than that carnality that you're living in right now. It's better than that sin that has you bound right now. Oh, yes, it's better than the frustrations that have you limited this morning. Hallelujah. He wants to look you out of that. Amen. I said He wants to look you out of that. He wants to look you up to a higher place. And the Lord appeared. I wonder who He wants to appear unto this morning in this service. I wonder who he's trying to address this morning with a thou art. Not a thou might be or thou could be or thou ought to be. But I wonder who in this service today he's trying to address as a thou art. Before he ever was a father, God called him a father. That's just the way God operates. Because he sees things that are not as though they were. And while you are wrestling with your limitations and and they're arguing with you right now about whether to respond or whether you can believe God or whether you ought to step out or whether you ought to go to an altar, while your flesh is arguing with you that you'll never be any better than you, you'll, you'll never rise above this, the Holy Ghost is looking, looking right now in this congregation. And he's locking eyes. He's, he's got some of you in his vision right now. He, he's looking at you right now saying, come on. Come on out of that. Come on out of that fear. Come on out of that depression. Come on out of that doubt. Come on out of that, that, that sinfulness. Come out of that. Come out of that. Come out of it. Come out of it. He wants to look you out to a higher place. He wants somehow to help you understand that there is something in you that needs to be released today. It is the freedom. 
It is the power to walk in liberty. It is a new man that wants to break forth, a new woman that wants to break out in your heart and life today. Come on. If you're here at the altar, call out to him right now.